This is Learn From Others, where we interview a cross-section of successful individuals so you can learn from their experiences, achievements, and even their mistakes. We ask four questions that will educate and inspire. Greg Stanley will be your guide as we join our guests on a journey from adolescent daydreaming to success in today's world. Join us on this adventure as we learn from others together. Welcome to Learn From Others, where we help others succeed by sharing success. I'm very excited to introduce our special guest, Terry Bryson. Terry, how are you doing today? I'm doing great today. Glad to be with you, too. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, before we find out what you're actually doing today, if you would, could you please tell us what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, you know, which year? <laughs> go, start, at the, start at the very beginning and, you know, go until you're tired. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think the first thing that I ever wanted to be was an astronaut, and and I, after that, I think I I wanted to be like the role models that inspired me, and so I think where I came up with being an astronaut was from the World Book Encyclopedia. My dad gave me a set of encyclopedias and said. I'm sure there's something in there that will interest you. Find it. <laughs> so you started in the A's, right? <laughs> I did. I did. I did. So. You know what's really interesting is you you have been my third guest that has wanted to be an astronaut when they grew up, and all three were women. Oh, really? Yeah. How I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. So, well, that's really cool. So you wanted to be an astronaut initially, then you wanted to maybe, as you grew and you saw some other cool stuff and some people you met you wanted to maybe be some other things yes where i uh, where i think i really got uh rubber to the road and i i started to pursue my education and pursue my dreams was to be a chemist Hmm. and i spent a lot of time in the lab and i was really good in the lab but i was bored in the Hmm. lab Mm -hmm. and so what i decided i wanted to do was to write about science and so I was on the path to get a degree, uh, bachelor's in chemistry, and a double major in journalism. And um, then I fell in love, and I started following uh, this guy around that I married. And uh, <laughs> his career sort of consumed our lives for a little bit. And so I wound up going to several different universities before I finished my degree. And each time I transferred, all of my journalism classes uh, transferred. Hmm. And so I started having trouble with some of my chemistry classes transferring or being exact matches, especially when you move from state to state. Right. And so, um, so I wound up deciding I needed to finish something and uh, wound up getting a journalism degree in public relations and, and mass communications. I had a triple major by the time I finished. Wow. And I got hired by an ad agency to write copy for them and wound up being really, really good at writing proposals. And so that's what they put me on was business development. And from writing business development proposals, I got into making business development presentations. Okay. And and became very, very good at learning new businesses quickly so that we could monetize our own services to a variety of businesses. And in the ad agency business, you know, you have to be loyal and faithful to one client. So once you get a client in a particular uh, industrial domain or, or, or uh, sector, 
then you have to go out and you have to search another sector because you can't do business with your client's competition. Right, so right. It was an unbelievable learning experience for me. And I had to dig in and do a lot of research and learn an industry very, very quickly, learn what its strengths were, its weaknesses were, where the opportunities were to make money. And that, as they say, is history. That's how <laughs> I became what I am. <laughs> so speaking of which, so going back a little bit, what was one of your favorite subjects or hobbies in school? Sounds like you had two predominant ones. Is that right? Right. I've always considered myself a scientist at okay. heart. I have to understand why things are the way they are. I keep asking questions. I want to understand. I don't read the normal things that other people read. (laughs) I don't listen to the normal kinds of podcasts that people listen to. I'm, I'm a lifelong learner. And so I'm hungry for information and I always want to understand things. So I, I would say, that there were very, very few classes that I did not enjoy. Oh, that's great. Yeah. It was, learning is such a valuable experience to me. My my most valued classes, though, were the classes where I had a very highly engaged um, faculty member leading them because I run on, my fuel is information. And, and I can take a book and learn it myself. And the classes where I got more from sitting in the class than I could have not being in the class were the ones that really, really inspired me and the relationships that I built with those faculty members. And it ultimately um, motivated me to swing back around to education because I come to education from business and industry. And uh, the two are very, very different. I would say in this era, they're becoming more alike than they've ever been and that excites me it's a good time to be in education and partnering with business and industry but the classes that I least liked were the (laughs) classes the classes where I had to work um, solo alone right and and didn't have a lot of engagement and interaction and theater (laughs) really did not take to it huh I did not like theater and I and I um, I found math particularly challenging, as many people do. And I regret thinking that the challenge was a reflection of my inability because I've achieved a lot of things math-wise that I did not think I could because I found it uh, not naturally intuitive. Uh, But I've put through uh, uh, two of my kids, uh, two kids through um, engineering degrees, and my daughter has a Ph.D. in um, engineering. Wow. And I, and I was her research support and I found flaws in her numbers and I didn't even understand some of the math. I just it was wrong. <laughs> you knew something <laughs> yeah. was off. <laughs> that's right. It gives one hope. So. Right. Well, that's really great. Well, you told us what you, I think what your first job was out of college. What was your first job ever? One where you got a paycheck and felt like you wanted to do a good job. So my first job ever, I was self-employed. When I was 12 years old, my father took me to Parisians. I don't know if you remember the store. Yes, the department store, right? Yes, right. So he took me to Parisians to get a job doing gift wrapping at Christmas time. And they wouldn't hire me because I was 12 years old. And my dad was just shocked 
that there were child labor laws that would prevent him from farming me out. That's right. (laughs) So um, for my birthday, he gave me, and this is a southern southern term, a washateria. A wash a a what? A washateria. Okay. That's the term that he called it. It was uh, 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 there was a complex nearby though of apartments and the manager could not keep the um the washers and the dryers and the the uh, uh operating and oh right the, yep the vending machines up and running and so he um uh contracted with me a 12 year old and uh i i cleaned the place and kept the machines running and kept the uh, vending machines up. I had candy machines. I had machines that would vend uh, dishwashing, uh, not dishwashing, but uh, clothes washing detergent, the whole works. Now, um, I learned to roll quarters, and I was a master <laughs> quarter roller. And I literally was rolling in money and thought that I had just hit the jackpot until my dad took me to the market and I had to restock all my supplies oh right right and then when my first machine broke down and he fixed it he charged me (laughs) and it was highway robbery (laughs) (laughs) that's a tough lesson (laughs) right so um that was my very very first paying job where i got a paycheck and i had to decide how much to pay myself and how much to hold back and I actually learned the hard lesson that there's a reason that nobody wanted that job, was the margin was really small. <laughs> so once you crunched the numbers, did you ask for it? Did you start charging more, or did you kind of hold it steady? I, I did, but then I learned a lot about politics. <laughs> and my dad and the the apartment manager were friends. My dad would not let me gouge the apartment manager. <laughs> <laughs> so I realized there are controls in the world that I have to figure out how to get around. So, so your dad wouldn't let you gouge the apartment manager, but your dad would gouge you. <laughs> that, I made that point to him, too. And he, he felt like, you know, I was learning a valuable lesson. It sounds like so. you did learn a valuable lesson through all of that, for sure. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Um, well, tell us, what do you do today? And if you would, kind of walk us through those last few steps. To, that took you to what you do today. So today I am uh, Vice President of External Affairs and Workforce Innovation at Motlow State, which is another way of saying fun. I love what <laughs> I do. I, I love the impact that I believe we make. And so I, I get up excited about coming to work every morning, and that really, really makes a big difference. I've had jobs where I well, was not excited to get up. Um. I went from owning my own business to being a top salesperson at a um, country western store (laughs) when I was in high school, and I actually came to terms with some other forms of barriers for women in the world, and I I had, uh, I experienced sexual discrimination and age discrimination. I went to work for a grocery store. And I was very good at that job, Uh, but I found that the guys working there made more money than the girls because stocking paid better than checkout. And so you learn real fast that there are barriers that you want to get over. When I 
went to college, I was young and married and I was doing very creative things with hamburger casserole and macaroni. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't even I couldn't even buy um, the the hamburger mac box. I had to invent my own. I was so poor, and I had to live off a scholarship. And so I had to learn to do really, really good work at school so I could stay um, uh, scholarship. I was, and and this is something that that your your listeners maybe can benefit from me is I was too dumb to know that there was Pell Grant money. Mm, mm-hmm. So I went to school when I could scrape together the cash because no one took me aside and said you're probably so. Um, financially strapped that you would be eligible for financial aid. No one ever told me that. Right. So I put my I put myself through school and I went to school when we had the money and when the transmission in the car that my husband and I shared went out, then I didn't go to school that semester because we didn't have the money because we had to put it back into the transmission. So I've been through those kinds of life experiences. I can't say that I'm a first-generation college student because my dad did have a degree. My mother did not. But my dad um, had just enough of a college of experience, a college experience that he knew I had to have a better one. And so when I got married, um, when my husband went to ask my father for uh, permission to marry me, because we're old, traditional ways <laughs> right. in our family, right? my father said no. And he said she has to finish her education. And so my husband and my father sat down and signed a memorandum of understanding that (laughs) I could get married only if my husband would ensure under no circumstances would I fail to finish my college degree. And so it was a hard bargain for us to keep. And uh, because there were times where we just didn't know how we were going to feel that fulfill that obligation, but I'm so glad that my dad made me because I think I could have gotten derailed if it wasn't absolutely explicitly clear that that was an expectation he had of me. So, so from there, when I got out of school, I um, I had two job offers. One was with the ad agency that I was telling you about, and one was with Southern Living, and I wanted a Southern Living back job so bad because I felt like it was a more prestigious position, Right. but it, it paid $500 less a year. And to me at the time, that seemed to really, really matter. And in <laughs> retrospect, I could just kick myself, you know, for making such a big decision based on such a small margin, but I had never had money. And so any more money seemed like a better option. Right. And right. So that's one of the things that I try to counsel young people on is how to weigh their options. And that's one of the things that I, I invest my personal private time in. But I went to work for the ad agency. It, it really, really opened my eyes to the business world. It's where I learned business. It's where I learned a lot of different industries. Uh, from there, I went to work for one of my clients and uh, the, at the ad agency. I did business with, um, at the time it was called uh, Central Bank. It's what we now know as Compass Bank. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, you talk about a, a drinking from the fire hose. I worked directly for the CEO, 
because the the man that hired me in the marketing department had an aneurysm and was out for months and months and months. So I became a direct report to the CEO and learned at his feet things that I didn't even know happened in the world. And so it was a very, very eye-opening experience and one that I, I was ready to bail on because I felt like it had unreasonable expectations of me. Uh, for my age and my experience and I just hung in there and hung in there and then I got a job offer from another client who came back around and heard that I wanted to follow my husband to a new location so I went to work for um, North it's a hospital in North Alabama it's called Huntsville Hospital it was a single hospital when I got there and when I left it was a hospital system and so I saw a lot of growth and development in that in that uh, career opportunity I've been blessed to join organizations on the cusp of potential growth and to be a part of fueling that growth because I believed the growth and the stability of the company was can amount to my growth and stability. Mm-hmm. And, and so I bought in and um, took the organization I worked uh, at two better places in order to try and take myself to a better place. While I was at Huntsville Hospital, um, the local community college, Calhoun Community College, the president reached out to me and wanted to build a training hospital and hired me to join her team and to help her raise the money to build the facility and open a, a a, a teaching facility that mirrored a hospital complete with um, an ambulance bay, nursing wings, surgical uh, units, the works. It was the most fun ever. And it's where I came in contact with education and learned about higher ed and felt like this is my path to giving back uh, to, to others as they have given me. I've been taught all along the way, here's an opportunity for me to, to teach others. And that's from Calhoun. I I migrated to uh, Motless State, and that's how I got to where I am today. Wow. Yeah, it sounds like you really made some great relationships. You learned a lot, you know, and you were faced with some obstacles you didn't run away from, and you were able to learn from them, and it sounded like you grew a lot in every role you did, and uh, things just kept on growing and growing from there. I did, and I worked for, for the most part, I worked for really, really great leaders who wanted to mentor, and I work for a great president right now, Michael Torrance, who's president of Motlow State. He, he's a true soul and wants to make the world a better place and knows that he needs to empower the people around him in order to achieve that, that he can't do it alone. And so you, you can be inspired by the people that you work for, and I've been blessed to have that for most of my career. I, I have had bosses that have also taught me Terry, whenever you're in charge, treat people better. <laughs> right. <laughs> I had those kinds of experiences too, you know. So. Yeah, that's great that's advice. That. Yeah. Right. So you want to you want to treat people the way they remember you as being a fond element of their their own learning curve. Well, speaking of which, what does your typical week look like? I used to ask typical day, but that was a little too narrow. So, what does your week look like on a typical basis? So, my typical day is that I wake up around four thirty or 5 o'clock, and I plan my day, and then I leave about 7, and I get here, 
and somebody else's plan happens to me. <laughs> so, <laughs> I always have a good plan, but it it derails itself quickly. Uh, I work in a very dynamic environment. I work with creative people and um, really, really good hearts and souls. And, and right now we feel like uh, we are launching a couple of entities simultaneously and so we feel like we're drinking from the fire hose ourselves we're standing up a new workforce development division at the college not that they didn't have one in the past but we're doing it new different and we're launching with a a new staff we're opening a for-profit robotics training facility oh that sounds cool it will open next uh, month and we are starting a new grants department uh, so that we can find the um, external funds to support us in, the, in some of our creative initiatives. As part of my job in external affairs, I'm also over marketing. And oh, wow. Okay. So I have a videographer, photographer, graphics designer, web services fall under me. So it's never a dull moment. Never, um, We never finish our to-do list. So, <laughs> so we've in the first part of the day looking at the things that we must do for the week and then we have I would say a big period of the middle of part of our day is responsive to unanticipated requests people who are in a crunch and need us to roll with the punches and help them uh, respond to an opportunity um, or fulfill an obligation. And then towards the end of the day, we kind of fall back and focus again on um, our own to-do list, the things that we want to do to be proactive. So front end of the day is proactive, middle of the day is responsive, and then again at the end of the day we, we turn to proactive initiatives again. But I would say grants, workforce, marketing, those are and robotics are our main initiatives right now. Wow, sounds like a busy day and a busy week. <laughs> lots well, of fun. yeah, lots of fun. Well, before we move on to our next question, let's take a moment to hear from our sponsors. Welcome back. As a reminder, you can check out all previous episodes at learnfromothers.org. And if you're an educator or a student, you can search for podcasts by career cluster. And additional resources are, are under the resource tab. So, Terry, we learned what you wanted to be when you grew up, which was an astronaut and then a couple other things. Uh, and you told us what you do today. So if you could do it all over again, what would you do differently? So I would probably specialize. Uh, in, in my world, I've grown and developed, and my career has taken off because I could be flexible and I could adapt. So that would be some of the advice I would give to young and up up and comers is you have to be flexible. You have to constantly be learning and you have to continue to grow and you have to respond to what the market needs from you. But if I could do it all again, I am a closet writer. So there is, there is still a second career out there for me to write. The other thing that I would do is I would formalize my uh, teaching, and that's something that I plan to do later on in life as well, is move to the classroom. Uh, I, I love that interaction with people who want to learn, and so I, I am not going to ever stop that. I'd like to formalize it. Right. Um, so I would say I would, um, if I could do anything I want to do, I would be a counselor, a teacher, and a writer. Wow. Okay. Well, that's those, really cool. But those are the things that I kind of try to do right now anyway. Right. Um, in my my private personal life, 
as well as my profession, I spend a lot of time working with uh, young people who are trying to prepare for high-stakes interviews. And oh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So it's interesting to me how they find me, <laughs> and it's very interesting to me the opportunities that they are facing. And so I spend time listening to their opportunity, learning what I can about the opportunity, and then I role play with them and walk them through mentally preparing, physically preparing, logistically preparing to snag whatever it is they want. And it is the most fun ever. And I have (laughs) I have a little file of um, notes that I get from from them and, and cards that they send me and the the one that I got most recently was from a young woman who just landed a job in in Atlanta that she felt like was way beyond her reach and she said see you at my next interview <laughs> so I fully expect her to find me again uh, when she's ready to make the next move but um, those that aspect of my life I want to cultivate and and do more of. Oh, that's great. Well, what advice would you give someone who wants to do what you do? And you can define that as you will, whether that's your current job or uh, more of an, in a general sense. What advice would you give someone who would like to do what you do? So I, I tell you what, I'd like to take that question and broaden it just a little bit. Sure. Uh, to, to say my advice for, for young people, no matter what they want to do, one of the things that I, I find that has been invaluable in the, with the young people that I've worked with is helping them to quantify their success. And when I was um, in a previous life in education, I was over uh, scholarship. I was a scholarship administrator. And I had, a, I had a fair amount of money to give away. And so I developed an application process and and I developed a committee, and we looked at all these applications. And, and what I realized was that young people did not know how to differentiate themselves from the competition. And so that's the number one piece of advice I have is if you can't distinguish why you are the best hire, why you are the best awardee, why you are the best applicant, then it's going to be really, really hard for the committee looking at you to know that as well. And so I've invested a lot of time in trying to help people differentiate themselves. And the easiest way to do that is to quantify what it is that you've done. And I do some workshops for schools who call me regularly and say, hey, we have a new crop of juniors, a new crop of seniors. The role modeling and the the role playing that I do on how to make the interview. That's one aspect of my volunteerism. But the, the first step is quantifying yourself on paper so that your application makes it to the top. And so I spend a lot of time explaining to people how to articulate back on paper the story that they tell me about themselves that they cannot imagine can be quantified. One of my favorite stories is a young man that I worked with who became the captain of his track team. And the track team at his school was new, and they came in last place two years in a row. He wasn't captain one year, uh, but the captain of the team graduated, and he became captain the next year, and they, they still came in last. And he had poured his heart and soul into this team, and he was 
passionate about running, wanted to go to medical school, and it, I, he could not figure out how to find traction on quantifying himself, and he had heard me speak, and so he and I met up, and he told me this story that just absolutely sounded abysmal coming out of his mouth because <laughs> he focused on his failure, and so at the end of it, I said, all right, let me tell your story back to you. And I said, what I heard you say is you rose to leadership in a time of trial, that you took a group that had no team spirit and you infused it with team spirit. And despite coming in last place, you improved in this way and this way and this way. That you also raised money to make track improvements that you introduced a new event fundraiser and that your team, and we just went on, and he said, stop, stop, stop. He said, I have to get a recorder. He said, I can't believe that this is me. And so, Right, so it's how you, yeah, it's the same events, but it's how you look at it. Right. You know, you don't look at the failure. You look at, well, what did you learn? What did you, right. you know, learn that helped you grow or new experience you received? Right. Uh, right, had, right. That's team, great. They had team uniforms under him. They had not had team uniforms before. They started a booster club. They found a donor who resurfaced the track for them. I mean, he had tons of successes. But the thing that mattered to him most was that they came in last, and he was brokenhearted over that. But I, I told him how to look at what the scholarship committee wanted to see the growth that they wanted to see so we were able to to turn him into um uh the 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 team grew in number they grew in the number of hours that they committed to practice they grew in the number of hours they committed to weight training they grew in the number the amount of money they left for the team that followed them they had uh two fun uh fundraising events they were able to pass the baton on those things are so easy to transfer into meaningful business experiences. And so that's what we did. And then he bubbled to the top in the application process, and then we met again, and we went through the um, role-playing, how to handle an interview. And he's one of my biggest fans, and I'm one of his biggest fans now. And so, <laughs> That's a great story. I appreciate you sharing that with us. That really conceptualizes what you're talking about, how it's really applicable and someone, right. could, a student could really see like, yeah, you know what? I, I did do some stuff that I'm not looking at it the right way. There's right. a better way to look at it. Right. So, well, that's really cool. And I know you mentioned a little bit earlier, but are there any current projects you're working on that you would like to share? I know you mentioned a couple a little bit earlier. Absolutely. Uh, it's my robotics facility that we're opening next month. We, uh, the website is called roboticstraining.com. And we're going to do a short-term training for people uh, who want to get into robotics. This is short-term training that will yield high-dividend jobs. If you're working in business and industry and you're maybe in automation and in a manufacturing arena and you want additional training, we can seat a class for industry and do specialized training, customized training for any company that would like that. And we're also going to do open enrollment classes where even if you don't have some robotics trainings, we, we've got some entry-level courses that you can take to get your feet wet, learn it, see if it's what you like, 
and then you can migrate on and progress and take uh, higher level classes that will get bring bring you uh, achieve help you achieve industry certifications that will open up job opportunities. So that opens in McMinnville, Tennessee, at the end of April, and we are very very excited about that. That's great. That's great. Thanks for sharing. Well, as with most journeys, success largely depends on reliable transportation, and we don't know each other, but I'm a huge car enthusiast. So would you tell me what was your first car? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, my first car, my um my grandfather passed away when I was fifth when I was right before my uh my 16th birthday. I was 15 and he drove a Volvo. And so my grandmother gifted me my grandfather's Volvo. Had over 100,000 miles on it and it was red two-door Volvo, built like a tank. Wow. I know, because everyone I hit dented, and I did not. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't mean to experiment to see if it was built like a tank, but that's what happened, right? Correct. <laughs> I did not mean to hit anyone, but a couple of people hit me, and they did more damage to themselves than me. So I guess I'm a testimony for Volvo from that standpoint. But my dad, of course, uh, true to his nature, would sabotage my car. And then not let me leave <laughs> until I figured out what was wrong with it. And so, Are you serious? serious. Wow, I that learned, is impressive. I know. I learned to put on a new fan belt and change my spark plugs and change my tire and things like that because I would be ready to go, and I would go out. And my dad thought he was very clever, but it's no fun to <laughs> have a dress on and find a flat tire. But that's how I learned wow. to change the tire. That is amazing. Red wow, Volvo. I wish I could talk to your dad. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Well, what's your dream car? Uh, that is so easy. My dream car is a paid car. <laughs> ah, there we go. Paid car. <laughs> paid for car. <laughs> so. That is a good answer. Thank you for listening to Learn From Others, where we help others succeed by sharing success. Where will our next adventure take us? Subscribe to find out. If you know of someone who has a cool career story or occupation, contact Greg through Instagram at LFO. That's G-R-E-G-S-T-A-N-L-E-Y-L-F-O. And we will see you soon as we learn from others together.